This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is the 2024 annual London FinTech Podcast New Year Special, by now the sixth, and this will be the final in a series in which I take a broad view of the societal context within which fintech is occurring. This year, we will leverage approaching 250 LFP episodes by diving into a core topic which we've never explicitly discussed before, namely creativity per se. Without creativity, not only would no fintech ever have been created, but at a personal level, our lives would never change, as we could never change the tomorrow version of us into being slightly different from today's version. If creating at a personal level, or contributing to the creation of a better world, which is surely the most pressing issue for us all at the moment, is of interest, then this is a great episode for you. And in passing, there is no conflict between personal and global. Creating a better you is creating a better world. The better you ripples out far in terms of the number of interactions you have within a year and how your vibe affects others who affect others who affect others. Yes, we are all, as it were, drops of water, but put a bucket out in the rain and these drops of water, none of which is large, will soon fill the bucket. And if I really wanted to stretch this metaphor beyond all reason, poor metaphor, I'd throw the hundredth monkey in there as well as tipping points into the bucket. On tipping points, I don't know what it was like near you, but around us, it was an amazingly rapid transition from virtually everyone wearing masks to virtually everyone not. So, before diving into the conclusion of this series of the six LFP special episodes, let's have a super rapid recap of the prior New Year specials as context. Super briefly, 2019's was released over a year before the COVID tyranny. It was entitled, Is FS and Tech Ushering in Orwellian Tyranny Rather Than Freeing the People? January 2020 was a lull, and that New Year special covered territory much closer to home, namely a decade of fintech. 2021's New Year special, after near-global house arrest had been created as a thing, was the second in the series and moved on from the technologically enabled road to serfdom to serfdom itself. It was a clear start of what one might call, in the simplest of terms, the outbreak of a war on the people. And it was entitled, The Elite's Governance and Cultural Revolutions, Key Insights from Spengler Nietzsche and Lash. The third in the series was the special media episode LFP 200, which reverted to focusing on tech and dived into the true and little understood nature of technology per se. It was entitled The Philosophy of Technology and Technique and Their Existential Impact on People, Society and Civilization with Oswald Spengler and Jacques Ellul. That covered three aspects of technology. Technology is never a neutral force, or at least at first as it empowers the greater concentration of power. Think about, for example, the independence of hunter-gatherers compared to when farming came in and a tiny few started owning more and more rather than common ownership of, shall we say, hunter-gatherer rights. Secondly, technology has always moved power further away from local communities to more distant folk. Globalism is simply the reductio ad absurdum of this process. Thirdly, technology and its parent technique, which was Jacques Ellul's concern, condition man to being, to existing in a particularly diminished way. Put simply, 
The more man is surrounded by technology and technique, the more robotic he ends up behaving, being, thinking and feeling, and the less, poetically put, he can be fully human and live in a world of values other than rational efficiency. The fourth in the special series kind of followed on from the second, diving further into the governance revolution, aka coup if you prefer, 2022's How the World is Governed, an exploration of the nature of globalism, the ne plus ultra issue of our time. This dived into the long-planned origins of globalism and its nature, Agenda 21 in its current version Agenda 2030, and climate change as the thing for them, were all agreed by the UN and the Club of Rome respectively way back in the 1990s. Last year's 2023 New Year Special was the fifth in the series, but took a radically different perspective from the prior four, and forms the first in a mini two-part series of which this is a second. I suspect by a year ago most independent thinkers had cottoned on to the globalist desire to reset us back into the Stone Age, into a state of neo-feudalism and cultural destruction. Thus the fifth episode, 2023 New Year Special, fleeing Plato's cave, escaping the Matrix in search of love, light and healing, took a very different tack, focused on the Great Awakening, not at the societal level, but at the personal level. How does one wake up? What indeed is awakening? And how many levels of it are there? Can we, rather than suffering, as many societies and ancient cultures are literally being demolished around our ears, use this as a spur in our sides to seek to flee Plato's cave, escape the matrix, and speed up our path to awakening in search of love, light, and healing, and a more human future? Good questions indeed. Traditional existential teachings on this matter take the approach of awakening to something, whether that be merger with the Tao, or Brahma, or Nirvana, and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. The opposite approach that I took is to focus on awakening from. This is also way more practical and way more implementable for an audience whose members might well be at all sorts of levels of escaping from the matrix. At the crudest level, the Russian doll, which is the matrix, is simply being hypnotized by the narratives of the globalists. The 2023 Neuro Special covered three levels of awakening, metapolitical, psychological and existential, along with reflecting on the wasteland and the grail that are respectively modernism as a whole, and respectively the possibility of a magical new world. That episode was quite a rich fruitcake, the most common reaction being, hey, that was great, Mike, but I have to listen to it again. <laughs> so it's not all that easy to summarise. Summing up the first level, though, metapolitical awakening. This involves seeing through political narratives. The major US-UK metapolitical narrative is the old school, there are two political parties, one so-called left, one so-called right. This is more recently accurately described by the inimitable George Galloway as two cheeks of the same ass, or by Peter Hitchens as two huge parties which are corpses lying across the way. On the other hand, you might have been fed the continental-style metapolitical narrative that proportional representation leads to more voices being represented and heard. Again, a lovely narrative, albeit the real politic is, Germany is a prime example, smoke-filled rooms and negotiations ensuring that the same so-called elites remain in power regardless of voters. A classic meta-political narrative that has been much in fashion in the past 20 years at a geostrategic level is that a bad man rules a foreign country. Thus, it is incumbent upon, quotes, we, unquotes, where we means the US and assorted vassal states within its empire, to destroy the country and countless of its peoples. All because of one bad man? Really? The way these kind of, in chat GPT terms, explain as if to a four-year-old narratives hooks so many adults never ceases to amaze me. Anyway, countless 
zillions of people have brought this metapolitical narrative, whether it be Iraq, Syria, Libya, and more recently, Russia, where history is for the third century in a row, teaching the overambitious that Russia is unconquerable. Apparently, Iran is also ruled by a bad man, but the empire of destruction that is 21st century America has, to the sadness of many in Washington, not yet really found the opportunity to set about destroying that nation and its people because their ruler is bad. Curiously, and allegedly, Ukraine is ruled by a good man. Cough, cough. But the US empire is totally destroying that country and its people too. Perhaps, after all the diabolical American political elites and their sock puppets in the UK do after all have a sense of fair play as maybe to strike a balance, they're busy destroying themselves now along with Europe. The second level of awakening, psychological awakening, is best briefly summarised by a curious thought slash vision I once had in Berkeley Square. Watching folks walk by, I saw them, not as I usually saw them, as people, you know, head, couple of arms, couple of legs, torso, that kind of thing, looking around and being in the world, but as having goldfish bowls on their heads and watching a screen inside those bowls, which they mistook for reality, they mistook for the world, without even realising they were doing so. Stop them and ask them and they would all say they were in Barclay Square and who could disagree? However, one might actually be walking down the square feeling angry with a colleague and plotting revenge. Two people might be thinking of the same party or business meeting and one thinking that was a good party slash business meeting or another thinking that was a bad party or bad business meeting. The Buddha, who in passing was teaching no religion but was rather explaining how he understood mind, said, with our thoughts we make our world by which he meant the world we experience, not the unknowable world as it is. Our psychology is literally, as it were, a code base of definitions, of beliefs, of filters, of perspectives and so forth. You'll have to check out the 2023 New Year Special if you wish to revisit that area. The third level of awakening is existential awakening, getting as it were beyond the ego and out of Plato's cave. It turns out, as we shall discuss in this episode, that there are three main keys which are incredibly useful not just for creativity, but also for unlocking the door of Plato's cave, escaping the matrix, and emerging into a magical new world of love and light. Overall, there is a huge shift in consciousness going on now. The old world is dying in front of our eyes. However, a new world is arising, and there are a phenomenal number of green shoots growing for those who will look and see. Okay, so let's go and to set some mood music, I thought we'd have some motivating words from my friends Hawkwind back in 1971 from an appropriately entitled album named In Search of Space, rather than the usual end of introduction segue. We are the children of the sun. This is our We are all, by the way, children of the sun. No sun, no us. We're also children of Mother Earth. No Earth, no us. As to chaos and confusion, there's plenty of that these days, and as to love and laughter, song and dance, well, it's up to us to create that, isn't it? All that is around us has been created. Creativity is one of a handful of unique aspects of the human race, in which we outstrip by miles all other beings on this planet. It is also a double-edged sword. We can, and we have, as a species, created astonishing beauty, but we have also created astonishing destruction. At a personal level, 
we have created some wonderful events in our lives, but also a bunch of unpleasant ones too. As I referred to in last year's newer special, the predominant cultural vibe in the so-called West is of sterility at all levels, of a land poisoned, literally. At a creativity level, the negative ruling classes seek to create only a wasteland to rule over in their lust for infinite greed and power. Personally, I'd rather be a subject in paradise than a ruler of a wasteland. Nearer the tech world, the leaps forward in AI in the past year have been astonishing, as has ChatGPT. I've heard from plenty of fintechs or other their PRs who are, as one might say, bandwagoning, and I actually did a pod prep call for an episode on LLMs, but to be honest, realised that I knew more than the would-be guest, and I know very little. So this remains a potential episode on the to-do list. In passing, if anyone has a great fintech to recommend that really knows this stuff, as opposed to bandwagoning about it, do reach out. Another astonishing leap forward was seeing the robot Optimus folding a shirt. Wow. So there's creativity out there in technology, which you guys will be very familiar with. There's also creativity out there even in music, much to my surprise that I stumbled across recently, which I thought was pretty sterile, pretty played out, certainly measured by the standards of pitch-corrected crap that one tends to hear in public places, coffee shops and so forth. However, recently, one evening, I hit upon a scene on YouTube and came across Nini Music, who does Taiwanese folk metal, a genre I never knew existed, the amazing visual spectacle that is Siberian ethnic shamanic folk pop rock Otiken, and in terms of way out there, Danish-German-Norwegian Heilung, which is, means healing, who I first took as LARPers, but upon inspection certainly seemed to be channeling some ancient pagan spirits in their amazing kind of Bronze Age pagan folk. As a taste of that, I recommend YouTubing LIFA, L-I-F-A, capital letters, and the one called Alpha Diharati Live, which is impossible to spell, but has 18 million views and a bunch of scary Germanic ancient warriors in the centre. One really gets a visceral feeling of how Germanic tribes kept the Romans at bay, rather different from the nation today. One of the coolest below-the-line comments to one of their videos, I must repeat, was, quotes, As an Italian, this makes me feel something between I am completely mesmerised and send three legions. In a world of great awakening and ease of global sharing, creativity is widespread. In physics, a chap called Steve Mould has done a bunch of awesome videos, a standout being where he connects a battery to two pairs of wires, one pair disconnected at the far end and one connected, and asks what happens. Suffice to say that a PhD in physics in the comments said he got it wrong before watching the video. Even the simplest of physics, a battery and some wire, isn't well understood by people with a decade of physics teaching behind them. So, even if, at a societal level, the zeitgeist is of sterility and, ca and catastrophic demolition into a wasteland amidst ancient European civilizations and their offshoots, then, at a local, micro, personal level, creativity covers absolutely all areas of existence. It's just that, right now, perhaps a tech problem, the conduits are not maximizing and structuring the flow of this to us. If we can harness this flow, independent tech, by the way, probably, not huge companies in the pockets of the deep state, we can leverage the fact that, as it were, technology eliminates space-time. All of the material I consumed and mentioned above was created at one point in space-time, but technology means that we can access it from any other point in space-time. Well, at least on this Earth. This main course contains five sections. One, the three phases of existence of all form. Two, creators, We've had more than a few on the podcast. Three, the fertile field of creation. Four, 
three keys to unlocking creativity, and five, the voices in your head. Main course, section one, the three phases of existence of all form. There are three phases of existence, whether that be of galaxies, nations, fintechs, or you and I as individual beings. In the simplest of terms, these are birth, death, and the bit in the middle, life. A more nuanced take is creation, preservation slash evolution, and destruction. In passing, the penny dropped for me some time ago when I noted that there's never been a political party that creates anything, as opposed to preserves, amends, evolves, destroys things. That is, they do everything up to and including death and destruction, but none ever give life. At their very best, of course, the environment they create liberates a citizen and allows him to embrace his divine creativity. Interesting, isn't it? Traditionally, pre-20th century England slash Britain had, roughly speaking, a Conservative Party whose role was to preserve and a Liberal, in the true sense, party that tweaked the ongoing design when necessary. Of course, that's a crazily overdone simplification, but if one takes the ideas of conservation and careful upgrading slash evolution, we get the very two forces of managing creations, the created. At a fintech level, we've had a number of conversations with founders of successfully growing businesses who've had to manage this balance between conserving the essence of their business on the one hand, whilst on the other, upgrading and mending that to suit the needs of a larger business and a changing world. As we've all heard a number of times, this is not an entirely easy balance to strike. Conserving slash preserving versus evolving as forces also apply way more locally to us as individuals. We all, on the average day, preserve identities and lives which are very similar to yesterday. On some days, we have discontinuous or chaotic experiences and life is suddenly very different, whether a relationship breaks, be it business or personal, or a physical challenge strikes us. In these times we are, as Jordan Peterson was adept at explaining before he became famous, thrust into the waters of chaos and disorder. Our lives are literally turned upside down and we tumble around before first restabilizing ourselves and later, ideally, evolving into a new you which is older and wiser and perhaps even better, whatever that might mean. As we all personally lean towards conservatism, our version today being so similar to yesterday, these discontinuities are, as it were, a pretty direct, if brutal way of moving us way further from where we were to where we end up being. The second phase of the existence of all form, conservation and evolution, is a yin-yang duality that we need to balance both at the national or personal levels. As to phase one and phase three, birth and death, at a personal level, experientially we kind of are suddenly alive and we pretty much deal with it as we are alive, even if just by, for some time, crying for help and hopefully having a parent feed, change us and so forth. But to keep this unesoteric, in passing there's a ton of esoteric insight into this, but for now never mind, we didn't create ourselves as it were. Our parents, using their mysterious, God-given as it were, powers of creating life, literally created the new human being, which is us. In the next section, we will reflect upon the nature of the experience of creators of fintechs, the LFP having heard from countless founders. In the subsequent section, we'll look at the yin-yang nature of creating. Phase three, the third phase of the existence of all form, in life, in business, in politics, is also yin-yang, where the yin path is gradual and the yang path is sudden. The yin path, is where the superstructure imposed on our business lives, think laws, regulation, tax, inhibit evolution's ability to flow, change and adapt. The yang path we see now in the so-called West, the destroyers of worlds, 
ruling way too many countries. Talking of the destroyers of worlds, one perspective on Shiva is that rule, and those are the energies we see around us, and Shakti in this take being birth, quite the parallel to yin-yang. In passing, we should note that all these are natural processes of evolution. Any gardener sees the cycle of birth and death, the season of bearing fruit and the season of degradation and death and adding to the compost heap. It is important to see these cycles and not just to have the good-bad take where creation processes are seen as good and death is bad. Without death there is no birth, without birth there is no death. It is Leela, the divine comedy, the interplay of light and dark. A tree roots in the dark and has its branches in the sun. Without roots in the dark, it would fall over. Touching on Indian metaphysical angles, a key parallel here is with the Trimurti, namely the three cosmic functions of creation, preservation and destruction, to which I've added evolution as the twin of preservation. In our more dynamic, super rapidly changing societies, I feel we are way more exposed to evolution than in more static agrarian societies of a few thousand years ago. Creation, preservation slash evolution and destruction are the forces or processes behind our lives, behind the lives of fintechs and in, indeed even the materialist physics of the universe, Big Bang, stability evolution of galactic structures and the hypothesized Big Crunch. Section 2 of the main course, Creators. The LFP has given me a wonderful and unique opportunity to interact with hundreds of creators, literally people who have created something from nothing, and in a sense get a feel for these unique individuals. When writing Realpolitik a few years back, I summarised what I had learned at that point from having had long conversations with some 150 creators. I'll read out a couple of paragraphs from the book in a second as it pretty much summarises my understanding at the time. In the following sections, of this main course. I shall revisit and zoom into this more having had, perhaps one might say, esoteric existential understandings of creating and creativity in the subsequent years to add to the overall picture. Before that though, I'd like to give a hat tip to Sam O'Berger, B-U-R-J-A, who I came across some time back. His focus is, quotes, writing and speaking on history, institutions and strategy, with a focus on exceptional leaders that create new social and political forms. I've systemised this approach as, quotes, great founder theory. Truly great people have always changed the world and created something out of nothing at all scales, whether Alexander the Great or the guests on the London Fintech podcast. The next chapter, chapter three, is entitled The Fertile Field. So in the following read from my great book, pay note to not just the importance of, let's say, a seed, but also a fertile field a fertile mind, a fertile womb into which a seed lands and grows. Quotes. Creation and creativity are mysterious. In our all too often prosaic and practical culture, one has to go back to the ancient Greeks to get more poetic considerations of what mysteries lie unseen beyond the realms of our senses. But whatever its true nature, it is this creativity which has created the world in which we live today. This creativity is mankind's godlike, mysterious power to bring into existence things that never existed before. Not only things in themselves, but things that produce other things. All of the countless thousands of products we interact with every day, think of all the component parts in a car, a train or a plane, have been created by companies. Companies which themselves never existed before they too were brought into the world by someone who was visited by the muse and who took that inspiration, brackets, etymology around 1300, quotes, immediate influence of God or a God, end brackets, and created, 
translated an idea into a thing. From that point forwards, for all the successful companies that create our physical and virtual worlds today, that creation met with enough sun, rain and fertile soil until it became a huge strong tree. When the muse drops, the seed of an idea into your mind is something beyond your control. In your control, however, is what you do with it. Do you plant it? How do you nurture it? How do you protect it from disease? The inception of every company in the world, no matter how small or how large, was the same. At conception, the fertilization of a field of infinite potential occurs when a spark of light, a dawning of a new idea, enters. This is a very mysterious process. The prosaic descriptions of finding gaps in the market doesn't even start to describe the moment of impulse. What is it in the human being that enables them to produce something that never existed before? After all, your idea didn't exist before you had it, and nor did your company before you created it. Based on my many conversations with real disruptors, the ancient Greek description of a visit from the muse is a way more accurate description than any MBA course's mark scheme answer. After the light enters your mind, the next stage is turning it from a thought, from potentiality, into something real. At this point, the muses hand over to Prometheus. The founder needs to bang rocks together, instantiate that Promethean spark, and then to use this to light a tiny fire on some dry tinder and then spread that fire. Chapter 3 of the main course, five chapters, the fertile field of creation. At quite an early age, I moved on from absorbing the Christianity which was passive when I were a lad. In doing so, like many, I did not appreciate that in some senses by labelling it all as quotes religion, I was rejecting not just one religious perspective on reality, but a whole bunch of embedded, let's say archetypical material that our ancestors had preserved. I think, having mentioned Jordan Peterson, it was only with his biblical lectures, which landed with countless millions of folks from all religions and none, that the ancient texts were clearly shown to be unpackable, not just into religion, but into archetypical tales, metaphors, processes, if you will. In terms of an awesome archetypical biblical creation tale, which pretty explicitly lays out the pattern of how creation works, the parable of the sower outlines nicely what happens to seeds depending on where they are sown. In the concluding two chapters, we will dive more deeply into how we can all, a, as it were, receive more seeds, and importantly, seeds for the right type of creation, the right type of plants we desire to create or grow, and b, become more fertile fields. So, back to the parable, and let's not focus on the specific religious content, but the archetypal content, which is also extremely practical for our lives here and now. So when listening, think about how this might apply to you in your life today. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. This I recall from my school days, however, the following section I do not, no doubt as it was quotes religious, unquotes. However, for the purposes of illuminating what might happen to a seed when it is mysteriously cast into our minds, let's again read this at an archetypical level about the process of creation and creating. In the parable, the seed is the word of God. Taking the underlying structure here, we can say mysterious unknown source. You might see this as God giving you an idea, a muse giving you an idea, or somehow a whole bagatelle of a zillion neurons coming up with the idea of the seed. Importantly, experientially, all of those are framings, what shall we say, 
is the production and delivery mechanism of seeds. In all cases, regardless of framing, what you experience is a kind of old-fashioned of bing, you've got mail. Or in this case, you've got a seed, but I don't remember any old-fashioned pings of you've got a seed. The first way the seeds fail to germinate in the field is, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Archetypically, this would be our negative thoughts which do us down, say it would be too hard, we aren't good enough, and so forth, and so on, and we move on in life and do not water and nurture the seed out of lack of confidence that has been instilled in us, one way or another. The second fate of a seed is, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. We've all been there, a cool idea, we get really enthused, but before we know it, like a magpie, we're looking at the next shiny thing, scrolling on beyond, or simply getting on with more prosaic matters. We might compare this fate of seeds to the fate of sperm, those poor cells, 99.9999% or more, of which never get to fulfil their mission in life of co-creating a fertilised egg. Or maybe they do, in at least sometimes offering an egg the choice to choose. Which reminds me of a buddy who is quite adept at, shall we say, sowing seed, whose pithy epithet was, men chase and women choose. The third fate of a seed is to land in the mind of a dilettante, a playboy as it were, whose real focus lies elsewhere. And although I caricature slightly, the one thing I have as a felt sense of speaking to so many entrepreneurs is the immense, and I mean immense, focus that is required to be a successful creator. Being a light bulb isn't enough. You need to be laser-like in your coherence to succeed through all the perils and challenges along the way. As John tells the tale, well, as translated by the King James Version, and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this world and bring their fruit to perfection. Finally, whether it be religious conversion or fintech creation or just changing our own lives upon receipt of a seed, we get the success case. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. And as above, patience indeed. Just in passing, John then moves on to the archetypal pattern of a marketing process. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. You have to set yourselves upon a candlestick, whether you are a new fintech, a new band, or simply after a new job. So, simplifying and summarising this whole process of creation, a seed lands, we either go, yeah, let's do this, or on the meh or nah side of things, do not nurture it into growth for reasons either positive or negative. On the positive side, rationally, due to not ranking it as a priority in our lives here and now, or believing it is actually not feasible, reject it. Or on the irrational side, our internal self-doubts persuade us that we will fail before we've even started. And I think it is this need to conquer internal self-doubts throughout the whole process of growing a business that gives these founders who've been on the show a kind of patina, a kind of shine, uh, something which makes them stand out in a crowd. A bit like going to the gym. Keep going to the gym, you end up looking stronger. At a much more concrete business or national level, insufficient research time, I believe, is devoted to what elements make up a fertile field for creation. No doubt this is a failure, as large parts of the non-science departments of university are methodologically focused excessively on criticism and critique, negative foci, as it were, 
and that's even before they were overtaken by destructive ideologies. At a national level though, just to give two prime case studies of fertile fields, we could take Venice in 16th century England. The tale of Venice is fascinating. Not one I understand well, but it's a great parable for those who feel that a bad start in life means life has to continue that way. Look at Steve Jobs, for example. He hardly had the perfect childhood. Adversity can, at best, drive us to find the very best within us. Archetypically, in Asia, the lotus flower grows in a shitty pond. Those poor early Venetians were plagued, literally, plundered, literally, and pushed off the mainland, literally, into malarial swamps. No investor in their right minds would have bet on those guys making it to become one of the greatest of all European city-states of all time, with governance which created a fertile field, not just for vast economic wealth, but artistic splendour also. An incredible tale. Equally, 16th century England was a disaster area when Elizabeth, who had had such hard times, which would crush most people, took the throne and literally turned England from being an inflamed and deadly womb into a fertile womb which would give birth to a civilization like Venice, encompassing great leaps forward in governance, business and art, and philosophy and science. Once more, no sane investor at the time in their right minds would have bet any money whatsoever on the sodden isle during the reign of either her uxoricidal father Henry VIII or murderous sister Mary, best known these days by being memorialised in the vodka tomato juice cocktail, the Bloody Mary. This fertile womb lasted for centuries. To name a few not entirely matters, it gave birth to libertian rights, to industrial revolution, to opposing and vanquishing murderous dictators such as Napoleon and Hitler, to the 60s, 70s explosion of unique pop groups in England, many of whose music will last forever, or more recently, the whole fintech phenomenon. In all these cases, the ideas were so good, they were readily taken up by huge chunks of the world. Sadly, this womb has been increasingly poisoned by the destroyers of the world, and I, for one, do not see many, if any, unique global creations emerging here henceforth. Of course, globally at present, where a national renaissance, a womb of creativity will re-emerge, isn't entirely obvious. However, one of the points in my two examples is that at the time, no one would have placed bets on it being early Venice or early 16th century England, quite the opposite. Plenty would have placed shorts if there had been a global stock market of states, shall we say. Chapter 4 of the main course 5. Three keys to unlocking infinity. So, to recap, we've covered the three phases of existence of all forms. Creation, conservation slash evolution, and destruction. And we have examined the creation process that happens within the minds of creators, and we're all creators, namely the dualistic yin-yang process of a seed and the fertile field. So let's now move on to the three keys that one needs to unlock ever more creative potential and creativity. Creative potential is literally limitless, by which I mean the human race has never found an end to it and never will. When it thinks it has hit a wall and can go no further, well, time and time again, throughout recorded history, someone comes along and opens a door through the wall when prompted by the muse or other higher powers. Before we discuss the three keys to unlocking limitless creativity, let us first sketch a quick model on the whiteboard. This will help us understand how we enhance and upgrade the fertile field within us. How do we, for example, encourage the muse to drop relevant ideas into our conscious minds? So, whiteboard, pen. In simple terms, in the middle is the ground floor, the conscious you, the bit you experience yourself to be moment to moment. Quotes below that, 
conscious level of you is the basement, your subconscious mind. Quotes above you is the first floor, the superconscious mind. Of the three, modern man is way more aware of the notion of having a conscious mind, at least sometimes, and they said conscious mind. You know, those autopilot programs of reactions, behaviours et al, most of which were installed in you by, say, the age of five. The Buddha saw this subconscious as being a vastly larger component of the mind. In terms of the interaction between the subconscious and the conscious mind, he used the metaphor of the conscious mind, or ego as it were, being like a little boy and an elephant. The elephant sees a bun and heads in that direction. And the little boy, like toddlers in plastic pedal cars today with steering wheels connected to absolutely nothing, but whose parent pushes it left or right, decides that they just decided to go in that direction. Unmetaphorically, the subconscious mind is mostly, or entirely, depending upon your precise definition, mechanical and uncreative. It's the conservative force within you which ensures that the you today is pretty darn identical to the you yesterday. The quotes, amount, unquotes, of conscious awareness one has is super important. Think of it like the brightness of a flashlight. Depending on how strong it is, you can open the door to the dark basement of your house and peer in and see more or less in the scary unknown where you've stuffed down, repressed your shadow side in Jungian terms. The metapolitical awakening is enabled by you being able to cast the light of awareness upon the political notions contained in your basement's autopilot mode. And ditto psychological awakening. A brighter torch enables you to see more on the ground floor. In extremis, without much of a conscious mind, you are simply a stimulus response machine. Given the preponderance of the subconscious mind over the conscious mind, even smart folk fall into this trap way more than they realise. I saw John Cleese interviewed recently, and, smart chap as he is, the very mention of words like Trump and archaic words like Thatcher, and he simply replayed entirely predictable taped responses at the metapolitical level. So, the more or less amount of consciousness we have, the more or less our ability to act rather than to react, to exercise free will and overrule our internal autopilot. Above the conscious mind on the first floor, if you will, the superconscious mind is less familiar to modern man. There are countless understandings of this floor, and to recap my use of seen and unseen realms, poetically, earth and heaven, most of the important things about you, your hopes, your fears, your desires, your life, etc., are all unseen. Going back to episode two in this whole multi-year series, I used Nietzsche's death of God as a formative point in turning towards, as Spengler put it, the twilight of the Occidental states. Death of God in the wider sense, meaning the loss of any sense of anything transcending the ego, of any upper floors to your building whatsoever, not just to no longer believe in one design of what might be on the floor above you. In throwing the baby out with the bathwater and in encompassing ever more remote from nature city lives, technologically hypnotised, commanded and controlled lives, modern man has lost almost all sense that there is a first floor in the house of something literally transcending his mundane awareness and what it contains or what the installed landlines up there can have access to, which we shall turn to later. It is regaining a familiarity with the superconscious self, which leads to a re-enchantment of our world, which leads to access to more love, light and healing, as I called it in last year's New Year special. I said this superconscious self is mostly not acknowledged in modern men, but nevertheless it is very much there, and very much in operation, inter alia, as the source of seeds, the ideas, the thoughts that literally feel as if they're dropping into your mind, as opposed to arising from within your mind. Now, for our purposes, we do not have to 
pin the superconscious aspect of self down to divinity, muse, or in more modern terminology, one's higher self, or spirit guides, or, well, a thousand and one different models. Let's just give it a feel of being in kind of Taoist Native American y terms, not unrelated, of course, the great mystery. We create in the immaterial realm by uniting immaterial seed with immaterial fertile field in consciousness first before instantiating that in the material realm in the world of form. In simpler terms, every fintech in existence was first an idea in the founder's mind before it became a registered company with staff, products and so forth. Right, that's a three-level model having been written on the whiteboard. Let's look at the three keys to unlocking infinity, as I've called them. They may well be more than three keys, but hey, three is more than enough for one chapter of one episode. The keys to infinity are focus, imagination, and intuition. Focus, I emphasized earlier, that I've come to see in the flesh, as it were, the necessity for pretty total focus in creators. Another benefit of focus is having a focus eliminates distractions as you are focused on your path and literally ignoring all of that which is not on the road ahead of you. Have no direction, have no focus, and you're free to play video games, watch 101 YouTubes a day, scroll here, scroll there. You don't have to, as it were, not do all those things if you're on a mission going in a certain direction. There are also more hidden aspects to focus. A third aspect, as Qui-Gon Jinn said in Star Wars 1, your focus determines your reality. Spend your time, for example, researching the Ukraine war, and that will determine not just how much you find out informationally, seek and ye shall find is a real thing in the information age, but also how you feel about life. Hearing about senseless slaughter day in and day out will probably not make you a happier bunny. Vice versa, spend the equivalent time in the gym and you will end up healthier and fitter. It is as if one's focus enables one to flick through an infinite series of potential yous. Your focus changes you into these examples. Someone well informed and depressed, or someone not informed about that situation but fit. Your focus literally creates who you are. Finally, fourthly, your focus determines not just exoterically, whether you get fit or know about a war, but esoterically, and importantly in the context of this episode, determines what type of seeds come your way. A chum of mine is writing a series of books and says he wakes up at each morning with some paragraphs already formed in his mind. Mozart said the same thing about music. In science, Kekulé was working on the nature of organic chemistry and had an intractable problem. However, when sleeping, a time we can all attest to, during which the imagination is given full reign, he dreamt of a snake swallowing its tail and thus upon awakening got the ring-like nature of the benzene ring, perhaps the most important discovery ever in organic chemistry. Einstein famously imagined, emphasis intended, travelling at the speed of light and falling in free space in an elevator, enabling him to develop both special and general relativity. Nor does this mysterious process need to be verbal, internal or even visual. Synchronicity being Jung's extensions of the actions of the unseen realms to one's environment. Pasteur notably discovering penicillin when his experiment seemingly fucked up and got contaminated. So note what you're focusing on and make sure it is at least mostly on your goals, whether that's to create a family, a fintech, more fitness, more knowledge, your focus is essential to making it happen. To automatically screen out what does not serve you, to become the version of you that you prefer, and to be fed by the muse, the right kind of seeds for your garden, the right kind of answers to your problems. After all, if you're trying to write a book, you don't want music downloads, do you? The second of the three keys is imagination. Imagination is way more of a rich phenomenon than I understood it to be in my early remarks 
written about creativity some years back. In saying that, I'm mindful of the fact that myself five years back, were they to be here today, would protest strongly saying, no, no, I get it. Imagination is everything for creativity. Okay, but hey, a bit like infinity, everything is pretty big, eh? And how far into everything or infinity can any of us really have traveled? A highly useful understanding of imagination I heard in a talk by Ian McGilchrist last year. He outlined, roughly speaking, that our common assumption that imagination is a kind of ability to fantasize things that are literally not real, and exercise at worst in sheer escapism, is only one take. And that's fine. From that perspective, a creator literally imagines something that does not exist and brings that into existence. So far, so familiar to myself five years back. What I found much more interesting, though, was not of imagination qua fantasy, some of which may be helpful or implementable, but in a much deeper sense. Imagination is the freedom from the known. Imagination is the freedom from the known. Imagine, ha, see what I did there? Imagine having no imagination. With no imagination, one is literally a prisoner of the past, a prisoner of the known, a prisoner of the programmed, a prisoner of the conditioned. You could never imagine having a life that you do not yet have today and setting sail in that direction. Imagination is the key to the lock on the door that keeps us trapped in the known. And the known is always very finite. It keeps us trapped in Plato's cave. It keeps us trapped in the matrix. Imagination is the key that opens that lock and allows us to move into the infinite terrain of the unknown. And to labour the point, the infinite contains everything. A thousand years from now we'll have crazy energy sources. Hopefully life will look vastly better. That's all in the unknown and remains to be discovered. There may be no more white space on the map of the world as there was a thousand years ago, but in terms of infinity, it's almost all, it's almost all white. It's important to realize that the matrix, the Plato's cave is constructed by ourselves. Let's make this a little more grounded. Let's review again the examples of scientific creativity. Paul Feyerabend in Against Method took aim, quite rightly, at the idea that scientific creativity is as rational a process as science likes to make out. Like his fellow Austrian Hayek, who fought in passing in World War I, whereas Feyerabend fought in World War II, earning him both an iron cross and lifelong impotence, which, to not being held back by bad fortune, did not prevent him from being a lifelong womanizer. Feyerabend, like Hayek, was spot on and had the curious experience that those most directly of the target take the most flack. Imagination, as per Einstein above, frees one from the prison of the known, in his case from the known physics, to the unknown physics. As Einstein said, I am enough of an artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Also, he said, a discovery in science is not accomplished in any logical way. It only takes on logical form afterwards in the course of exposition. A discovery, even the very smallest, is always an insight. The solution comes from outside, as unexpectedly as if someone had whispered it in your ear. Feyerabend's Conquest of Abundance was published posthumously. No flat can reach you at that point. Poetically, I having read it yonks ago, it points to how we map an unknowable infinity of beingness via abstraction and mechanisation and then live our crazily simplified world within the, uh, the map that we've created of abstraction. Bringing this back to our three-story building of the mind, imagination, as it were, frees us to wander upstairs, albeit only with a small flashlight, and groping around to find things to pick up 
bring into existence on the ground floor that is within your conscious mind. Your superconscious self knows way more and from literally a much higher perspective than your conscious self. This brings us to the third and final key for this episode, to unlocking the door to the infinite, namely intuition. Intuition is not just a key to infinity, but a key to life here and now. Many a person has followed a hunch, turned left rather than right, or not bored an aeroplane, and remained alive as a result. Intuition is knowing what you don't consciously know, whether that knowing is, comes as a feel, or a hunch, or a voice in your head, or countless other ways to experience it. I've been working with intuition for many years. One of the most helpful tools I've found is to note down your intuitions, which certainly helps the flow to keep coming. Your intuition, as it were, acts to increase the bandwidth from your conscious to both your subconscious and superconscious aspects of mind. Studies of intuition, up to and including in the Harvard Business Review, show that it works whether soldiering, being in business, walking across town at night or whatever have you. It was with the house imprisonment years that I got to refine my intuition even more. I thought at the time, as there was less going on, my mind was more quiet, and so I literally had more conscious bandwidth to notice it it being the quiet voice, the vague feely thing, or however you personally experience it. However, with hindsight, it was not just that, which was definitely a factor, but that, that, as reported by countless folks, recent years have seen huge increase in levels of consciousness. As a chum put it recently, what would previously have taken a century of meditation in a cave, one, or rather some ones, can just now do. Countless folks have noticed their flashlights increasing in power without any real effort on their part, this is indeed the main phenomenon behind the Great Awakening. Namely, and take this metaphorically if you wish, greater awareness at all levels is flooding onto the planet and into people. Much more could be said about this, and there are perhaps more than a million hours about this on YouTube. One framing is that we're moving from the so-called third density to the fourth density of consciousness. Another model is from 3D to 5D. Symptoms of these changes are an increasing exposure of great evil an increase in the number of people willing to stand up for humanity, be it truckers, farmers or medics, an increase in what might call heart energy and compassion, and a whole bunch of quotes, cleansing, unquotes, i.e. feeling crap as what's dark within rises and is cleared by one system. The Hopi, amongst other ancient civilizations, foresaw all this occurring long ago in their prophecies. Right, so having covered the three phases of existence and the three keys to unlocking creativity, let us move on to the final section of the main course in terms of amplifying creativity significantly. There are naturally, as I mentioned before, many more factors that contribute to creativity, a notable one being curiosity. Curiosity is a wonderful key that can literally unlock the universe, which inter alia not only keeps you going, but is the antidote to fear. Maybe something within this exploration of creativity will trigger your curiosity. However, we do need to limit the number of keys we cover, as despite my best endeavours, once again, this LFP New Year special is already going to be way too long. I've had to throw out huge chunks. My subconscious programming in the basement must surely include a line that says, never use 10 words where 100 will do. So, having covered focus, imagination and intuition, this final section of the main course will indicate that there really is no limit to how well, you can hone, refine and develop those keys and the potentially extraordinary, to the modern man anyway, results of doing so. So, having used the metaphor of a seed being essential to any new creation, this section will expand upon the idea 
of seed into direct, as it were, communication with the muse, the supplier of the seed. After all, at a very simple level, I do recall the VC guest on the show, whose use of meditation was into Alia to help him solve business challenges. He used meditation, as it were, to get the way smarter input from his super conscious mind that has the solutions to many of the problems that his conscious mind finds intractable. In terms of increasing the power of the light in your torch, or the amount of scope of your consciousness, your powers of perception, or building a you that is more fertile field and getting the relevant seeds, in last year's New Year special, I ran through a huge list of examples of the countless tools which we can use to work on our consciousness, awareness, and expand it into areas and aspects of your mansion that you never knew existed. To name a few we mentioned last year, Qigong, Neigong, Tai Chi, Acupuncture, EFT, TRE, Emotion Code, Crystals, Native American, Journeys, Sweat Lodges, Venetian Quests, Entheogens, the countless forms of meditation, the role of spirit possession, religious ceremony, sacred places and buildings, to name but a few. Mind you, not a bad list for a fintech podcast. Long story short, tools, old and new, abound. Most these days you can learn a certain amount of online, even if nothing beats personal tuition. As much as anything else, it is about finding the tools that work for you, if you wish to increase your consciousness, awareness, creativity, that you enjoy using, and so like food, you enjoy eating, and if so, you readily keep on eating it. Before we gallop headlong into the unknown regions to modern man, perhaps we first might touch on the nature of our standard reactions to the unknown, which range from total fear of it through to utter naivety. Perhaps, as we are vulnerable mammalian creatures, and much predatable, if now by negative elites and back-in-the-day saber-toothed tigers, plus a change, we can be afraid of the dark, afraid or unwary of the unknown, and hence reject the whole idea that anything exists outside what you define as your own world of the known. Now, if staying resolutely in your hometown in which you grew up is one end of the spectrum, the other is to wander around a foreign town in a foreign country in which you have no experience like a naive newbie. Until you know a foreign land, you need always to be learning where is more safe, where is less safe, what is good to do, what is not good to do, and so forth. The same totally applies to expanding your reality tunnel, as per my metaphor earlier, comparing white space on a global map of space around the Earth's surface with white space in terms of the vast unknown that is out there, unexplored, uninvestigated, and certainly unconquered by us at this point. Examples of this are legion. It's not just tragic cases like Pink Floyd's Sid Barrett catastrophically losing his mind for life. The album Wish You Were Here, as I'm sure you know, is very poignant about that, as well as Dark Side of the Moon. But I've even seen the simplest of Qigong exercises make people, in the extreme case, feel dizzy and unwell. But everything in reality is like that. Everything can affect us negatively. I recall at school someone managed to break their arm when playing chess. And by the way, they fell off the chair if you wonder how you managed to do it. These days, before attempting, say, a Himalayan mountain, one would naturally watch a few YouTubes of it to get a pretty good idea. The same applies to the prepping for world outside Plato's cave. Although, for most people using most tools, progress is pretty slow, unless one takes some powerful entheogen and you are suddenly catapulted well beyond your current reality bubble. And that can go well, or as per poor Sid, Badly. Technology is a huge help. Exposure to other travellers' tales is a great preparation for expanding your own reality tunnel. For me in 2022, as I mentioned, that was watching dozens of near-death experiences on YouTube. This definitely helped me viscerally, reflexively 
open my mind to the universe being potentially way different from what I'd previously believed as a fact, namely in essence the binary religion or science ancient hangover from centuries ago, which were presented implicitly perhaps at school as the only two metaphysical options on the menu. When offered A or B, neither of which will satisfy your taste buds or curiosity, it's always nice to choose C, in my case empiricism. Before touching on my focus in 2023 as to how I overwrote my subconscious and created an expanded reality bubble for me in the past year, let's talk about voices in our head. Why not? Now, voices in the head is within the modern reality tunnel, though you have to be very careful in many countries mentioning this to a doctor, as there is an immediate and present danger of a slippery slope to being medicated or an extremist sectioned as mad. Whereas, once again, it is the system that is mad and bad. To be sure, in extremists, voices in the head can be very bad news, and to quote a section from last year's New Year special just in case any of you are afflicted by such, or have relatives who are, and this is made worse by their simply being a frame that, not to put it too delicately, you're mad, I will reread those paragraphs that is worth it, even if one person in the world is helped as a result of this recap. Quotes. Spirit or entity possession is for real. I've seen this dealt with in many different circumstances by many different tools. There was a really interesting psychiatrist whose name I forgot. He was on the Delling Pod and Sheep Farm podcast in the first year of the Elites Revolution. He'd worked in the worst mental hospitals and prisons in America with the most intractable patients. Not a job to volunteer for. Anyway, he started to manage to improve the condition of some of his paranoid schizophrenics by the rather novel approach of listening to what they said about hearing voices and actually taking them seriously rather than just following the textbook. Of course, he got himself into a pile of trouble with the powers that be as going off the reservation isn't allowed. I happen to see, by the way, there's even an app these days, Easy Entity Release, which, at the time, got 4.1 stars on the Apple Store. It appears, by the way, to use the term entity in a very wide sense, including one's thoughts, but does seem to include the more capitalised E, very big entity. I recall pioneer in LSD psychotherapy Stanislav Grof telling his second mother-in-law that he'd recently managed to start hearing voices. His mother-in-law, a Native American, said, so what? In our culture, we consider it abnormal if you can't. Different reality tunnels. So let's have a look at the voices in our head. I heard last year, source to be mentioned later, a fantastic categorization of the kinds of voices you might hear, divided into 11 major categories. Now by voices, I'm simply using a word. You may not experience the following as voices. You may experience it as feelings, as visuals, as influence, or no doubt in countless other ways. The first level of voices that you hear, that we all hear perhaps, is for the physical mind, the built-in aspects of mind, the basic software modules that come with our hardware. These are divided into three categories, neutral voices, negative voices, and positive voices. The negative and positive voices both have a yin-yang duality. The neutral observer is one cultivated in many ancient practices. Let's say you're looking out the window and you see a grey car or a black cat and aren't emotionally invested in either. You just note it. You are aware. There is neutrality. That's the central point for all investigation. It is homey. It is returned to base in all traditions. On the negative side within our mind, we have a yin-yang duality. The yang, negative, is the harsh critic. You'll never be good enough. You've fucked up again, haven't you? And so forth. Any of you ever had an uh, internal harsh critic in your mind ever? The negative yin voice is seductress. 
you know, the one that says, oh, have another beer when you're already smashed, or have another slice of cake, it's only one after all when you're on a diet, and so forth. Any of you ever noticed a force that, shall we say, keeps you scrolling on the sofa when you're meant to be at the gym? And these forces are, even if you believe the forces are simply a bunch of neurons, forces, as it takes an effort to oppose them. There are hacks with regards to these negative voices. An obvious one, with respect to the seductress voice, is to have habits rather than opposing the forces. If you always brush your teeth, there's no opposition, you just brush them. If you always go to the gym on Mondays, you always go. The seductress didn't get to say a word. You say, no, it's Monday, I go, go to the gym. Oh, no, I brush my teeth. End of. On the positive side of the mind, the two voices were labelled supporting father or grandfather and nurturing mother or grandmother. In the stressful and natural, out of alignment with our true nature, whether Mother Earth or Father Sky, the negative voices in our minds tend to predominate. Indeed, the mental health crisis is just that, plus a few other of the ten layers, perhaps. But it is important to note this is not how humanity is designed to be. I recall the Dalai Lama, when he first heard the phrase low self-esteem in English, needing to have a long discussion in Tibetan with his translator as to what on earth that was, as there was no such concept in Tibetan. The second source of voices moving upwards is our friend intuition, which, as I noted before, has a qualitatively different feel or tone or feels a bit more further away or distanced or whatever it feels like to you. The secret to working with intuition beyond paying attention to it, as I noted earlier, is improving your discrimination between quotes it and quotes you, as well as refining your ability to hear it directly rather than filtered through your positive or negative voices slash subpersonality. The third level is archetypes. I personally have never been big into these, so I can't say I've actually heard from archetypes. However, I don't doubt that we all inhabit several of them in our lives. Perhaps in my case, mostly the fool. The fourth level is the higher mind, the superconscious upstairs in my model. Here, imagination really improves the bandwidth between the two. Communication includes not just, as we noted, seeds or verbal guidance, but through dreams like a Kool-Aid, synchronicity and imagination itself with Einstein and relativity. The fifth of the eleven is spirit guides. As I mentioned, I've done plenty of Native American shamanic journeys, kind of hypnosis slash guided meditation with a shaman on a drum, the purpose of which is to meet guides and ask for information. I was never that good at, as it were, meeting guides, but I did manage to attain some understandings. Let's gloss over quite a few of the layers. For now, I shall share the source later for those more curious. In the categorization, right at the top level 10 is the angelic realms, pure love, which in passing exists in all spiritual traditions worldwide. Not that I actually come to think about it. I've checked out all spiritual traditions worldwide, <laughs> but the tiny few I have uh, uh, contain this. You know, the gig, infinite love and compassion being a theme. At this point, I'd say that naturally, people use words in very different ways. Yonks ago, I did Reiki, and a woman in a room said that the room itself was full of dozens of angels. At the opposite end of the spectrum of what people must be defining as angel, I did a meditation retreat once, and one of the hardest core meditators who had done very, very many, a judge or a magistrate, as I recall, said that she'd only once experienced an angel, and she was actually blown away by it for several days. Level above that is infinity itself, is source, the all that is, the Tao, God, all labels are literally fingers pointing at infinity. So, in terms of moving on to putting our creativity on steroids, Back to my 2023 YouTube watching core focus. It was something I pretty much dismissed in the past, namely the phenomenon known as channeling. Probably for many reasons I dismissed it. 
One of which is that I didn't trust most examples I'd seen. Another is a, an aversion to the whole new age, mind, body, spirit type thing. Being America, that's a multi-billion dollar industry, at best helping folks, at worst preying on the weak and vulnerable in need of sugar candy and copium in abundance. But hey, what do I know? As I said in last year's podcast about not knowing. A notable Zen saying is, not knowing is the start of all wisdom. The cloud of unknowing is a 14th century English Christian mystical text and has the same angle. The secret's in the title. Not knowing enables us to move beyond the realms of familiar and easy to study. Anyway, as we should all occasionally, and hopefully not too much for all of us, practice what we preach, <laughs> I decided to check it out. And besides, every religious text was, in the broadest sense of the term, channeled as it came from sources above the conscious mind. Mahayama Buddhism is a clear example, as it is almost in its entirety channeled texts, allegedly, from previous Buddhas. Anyway, labouring all these points is just to walk from modernism into these lands. It would be elementary school to say Native Americans, one of the core tales of the Lakota being, for example, the key role in their culture of white buffalo calf woman who was Wakan, holy, having spiritual and supernatural powers. She taught them seven sacred ceremonies and gave them the ceremonial pipe. Talking of Lakota and the amazing possibilities of refining your focus, imagination and intuition, I heard from one teacher who teaches the ability to connect to realms above us on higher floors than the first floor of our buildings. A pupil of his had had an, such an interest in the Lakota that she'd learned the language. Having additionally learned as we might say, the art of connection, or to coin a concept, interdimensional networking, she was taught a song by a spirit of the Lakota, or an aspect of her mind, as I say, everything's a model when it comes to reality, and so ended up knowing a Lakota song that she'd never consciously learnt herself from any earthly source. Back to the source of the 11 levels which one might connect to for, let's literally say, supernatural information. I don't mean that in any negative sense whatsoever, but just something above the conscious mind, something outside the prison of the known, from the vast and infinite unknown. I'm indebted to Daryl Anker, who, inter alia, was a model maker of Star Trek films. Decades back, he had two experiences of UFOs when he was in the car with friends and family. This led him on the what the hell search, which about a decade later led him to learning how to channel during one of the classes, he was contacted, in his mind, by a being that called itself Bashar, Arabic for messenger in passing. Not only did this happen, and the teacher say to him, there was someone attempting to talk to you, but someone else in his class had a vision of this entity and did a sketch of the entity, showed Daryl later, and it matched what he had seen. Long story short, decades later, Daryl is still all over YouTube, channeling Bashar, a being who presents himself as being from a higher dimension in a parallel reality, allegedly. But as Daryl says, and as the relevant subreddit debates now and then, it doesn't actually matter whether Bashar is real or fantasy or Daryl is a complete fake. It's the message, not the messenger, that matters. And as a buff, I found much of it quite interesting. Besides which, moving on from other people's experiences, and that was just one of the countless YouTube channels. Ha, see what I did there? I watched last year. I've improved my own ability to channel spirit guides or guardian angels or my higher self or whatever, or my inability to create great fiction. Once again, for this purpose, it's the message that matters. So I have found that it's readily possible 
to get information and thoughts and ideas which are way more on point than those of my own conscious mind and are helpful in matters of life, health, family and so forth. One point in passing before we wrap up the show about channeling that took me a while to realise and appreciate is that the channeling is always a funneling of information which doesn't turn up in the language that it comes out in, doesn't even turn up in a language actually, through the human channeler and thus quotes channeled information will come through more or less depending on the skill of the channeler filtered through the biases, models and so forth of the channeler. So for example an extremely well-known work, The Law of One, which was channeled in the 80s onwards by a being, or set of beings called Ra, very interesting as it is, has a very Christian tone because the lady channeling was Christian, and so forth. As Bashar says, the being we take to be Bashar in channeling is actually something of a fusion between him and part of Daryl rather than him. It almost has its own personality. Anyway, let's get back to the agenda, creativity. The simple point of this section is whether you're a venture capitalist or whether you're me using apparently different ways for apparently different purposes there are many ways to increase your connection to the all that is to increase your connection simply to aspects of yourself that you didn't even know existed whether you're expanding into infinity or expanding to more rooms in your own mansion it will contain dark and light aspects negative and positive it is just like the yin-yang symbol, where the real essence of the person, or of beingness per se, is the bit that you may have not noticed in that symbol, an empty circle which contains the yin and the yang symbols. The pure beingness, the neutral observer, that which Eckhart Tolle manages to talk about in a zillion videos. And when you get bored of Eckhart on the now, you can always, if you really want to gallop well beyond the modernist's Plato's cave, check out the phenomenon that is Matthias de Stefano who can recall all his past lives and is perhaps the most amazing person I know of today. His most top of the range interviews on the structurality is way over my head, very geometric in passing. But for most of you, I wouldn't bother. Depending on where you are in the swimming pool, there's no need to try swimming the channel as your next step. For those of you wishing to find out about the other levels of the 11 I didn't name, you can Google Voices in Your Head Part 1 in the number one by Bashar, B-A-S-H-A-R, and find out for yourself. So, finally we arrive at the dessert course. One reason for diving so deep into creativity in this final of the series of six and second in the series of two focusing on love and light is that there is so much that we need to build back better, but in a human, not anti-human way. Lord knows it all, just wanna As I mentioned about gardening, there are forces in the garden that take compost and turn it into flowers and fruit, and forces in the garden that take flowers and fruit and turn it into compost. Together they make up this cycle of life. And there's no prizes for spotting which forces the globalists are channeling, and I have no doubt that they are literally possessed by the most demonic, the most negative, cosmic, universal, unseen, archetypal forces, whatever you want to describe it. And let's not forget, once again, that it's only our failed modernism that does not acknowledge this. Once more, for old time's sake, a quote from the Bible. Jesus said, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yeah, that's about right. On the other hand, countless modern channelers out there are contributing to the delivery of more love and light, compassion, wisdom and increase in our consciousness. And as with restaurants, choose carefully what works for you. You do not want to listen to folks who are literally channeling their own shadow side, which is locked in the basement. Channeling after all simply means conduiting ideas that are not arising your conscious mind by, as it were, the usual word click click observable gears of your own conscious mind. Caveat emptor. But before we wrap up this podcast, we must focus on not just the need to oppose and stop the evil, but also on not making the mistake of fighting evil and becoming consumed by evil ourselves, lest we repeat an age-old pattern of revolution, as has been seen in countless revolutions or counter-revolutions. Violence sows the seed of karma, which ends up inevitably producing the same fruit. France had a revolution to get rid of autocratic kings, and yet now has autocratic presidents who witness the pension changes, ignore the law and just decree. Russian communists overthrew the Tsar, yet modern Russian rule is pretty Tsarist. Chinese communists overthrew the dictatorial em emperor and have a pretty imperial governance structure today. In England, Cromwell overthrew what he saw as an autocratic monarch and became, in all but name, an, uh, yeah, uh, an autocratic monarch. In simple terms, you can't fight war, as that is to start by fighting, and fighting leads always to seeing opposition that needs to be fought. Rather, one needs to literally choose the opposite, and not just rally around that flag, but march in the direction of, in hippie terms, love and laughter sung and dance. Peaceful truckers, farmers, protests show the way to oppose in a similar way to hippie girls putting flowers down the barrels of rifles in the US when protesting the Vietnam War. Or, as per injections, just say no can be very powerful. In terms of creating a new world, not a new order, there is a ton of creativity that needs using productively. There are a huge list of societal challenges which were in place before the Great Resetters started rapidly boiling the frogs. Just to name six huge areas ripe for disruption. Governance, health, technology, law, education, and last but not least, culture. Governance, be it state or corporate. How do we amend our abstractions and the state and the company are not real physical things, just abstractions that control the way that people behave. So the power lies in England and hopefully everywhere else, once again, with the individual. As Max Weber foresaw, in bureaucratic command and control structures, these are ripe for plucking by the Emperor Palpatines of the world, who always turn up. It might also help countries like America, for example, if buying votes, politicians side trading were illegal rather than legal. Second, health, physical and mental. Christ, is that bad? And to be polite as I possibly can, it is, shall we say, far from entirely clear that the sickness industry, medical system and big pharma are making things better. As RFK Jr. has pointed out, the incidence of many dire conditions, not least of which in children, which were super rare in the 1960s, are now through the roof. Furthermore, he said that in the late 1980s, there was an inflection point in many conditions, and that if elected as president, we live in hope of some role for him in a better world, he will immediately order investigations into 10 factors, which it must be, and what their relative contributions were. 
As hero of the COVID resistance, Pierre Corey testified to some Washington committee recently. The US government has done long-term studies amongst the Amish of their health, but has never released the findings. However, for example, incidents of autism and ADHD amongst the Amish are almost impossible to find. America and much of the world is being poisoned, literally. Three, technology. As per Snowden's warning yonks ago, the deep state is gathering all the data on everyone, which makes it incredibly easy to control politicians as the first order of the day. We definitely need more freedom tech or Elon Musk to buy even more of megatech. Law. The state of the law in the US is shocking. How can one man or one man and his son own thousands of DAs in America? Anarcho-tyranny needs somehow to be reversed. The law needs to be a friend of the weak and tough on the corrupt oligarchs and bought politicians who destroy society. As I have pointed out countless times, European medieval governance was way better than today in a key regard in that tyrants lost their heads, which was definitely a point not lost on their successors. Here war criminals are rewarded with sinecures and posts in the global cacistocracy, the rule of the worst. 5. Education. It is clear that education and universities are now a major part of the problem, not the solution. They have in large part become that which they overthrew, namely scholasticism. Medieval scholasticism was centred on a religious text. Much of academia has now done the same with the Antichrist version. Furthermore, there's something fundamentally missing in an age of reason. Reason is fine as far as it goes, but that isn't very far as we see now. Finally, financially, it makes little sense to be indebted to learned little of much value. In the UK now, unless you are super wealthy, you have to pay a graduate tax for 40 years after leaving college. That's insane. And let us not forget that 15 years ago, college was free over here. And also, it's appalling value when for a whole lifetime of indebtedness, you get to listen to some average lecturers pumping out the same old average stuff inefficiently year after year, rather than the best material that exists. Six, culture. England's has surely gone. I would feel way more at home in 1924 England than 2024. And I no longer believe, sadly, that Humpty Dumpty can be put back together again. In 2024, everything that being English stood for when I was at school has been utterly inverted. Anyway, moving on from minor matters like the collapse of a thousand-year-old rainy island, culture and the renaissance of culture is a tricky one, as it can only evolve organically. Anything imposed top-down is tyranny. However, a key to undoing Nietzsche's death of God is, in non-religious terms, a renaissance of heart-centred energies, of love and compassion as being the core drivers of society. Importantly, a renaissance of heart-centred energies is one of the things that's coming along with the new consciousness upgrading happening on the planet right now. Virtue ethics need to be key. As I've said before, whilst all cultures are different, there's a huge overlap between, say, Aristotelian virtue ethics, Lakota virtue ethics, and those I was brought up with at school. One more challenging aspect from a financial perspective that needs redressing is an almost sole emphasis on profit and greed at all costs. In Britain, this used to happen culturally, as I've mentioned before in the 1980s. The UK stock market was seen as having some growth stocks and some value stocks. Notably, importantly, the latter included banks, and were not expected to grow at all, or at least faster than the overall size of the economy. In those days, it was a cultural loss of faith to sack people, and profits tended to be hit first before letting go of your colleagues. This whole mentality dates back centuries to when the literal word company evolved from 
a company of friends and colleagues doing something together in company, a spirit which we still see in Aristotle's. Anyway, you get the gist. For those of you with a desire to use some of your time over the decades that you have, building a new world rather than supporting the construction of a new order, there is no shortage of greenfield sites, of opportunity, of white space in the map of the vast unknown, and, as I've indicated, potentially knowable. Nor, and I could have said way more than I have, is there a shortage, shall we say, of way more advanced data sources, light, or loosely put, angelic beings, love, cooperating with us in this regard. And whilst the whole job is well beyond any of us to make even a tiny dent, this has always been the way for all great civilizations. Besides, what could be better than building a new world? What better legacy could you leave to your name, your family, your clan, your nation, your team humanity? Do not forget, my friends, as I mentioned, that a bucket is filled with water one drop at a time. If each drop had thought it was insignificant and didn't bother landing in the bucket, the bucket would have never have been filmed. Let us all be drops of water filling the bucket in search of love and laughter, song and dance. Live long and prosper. May you and yours be well, peaceful and happy. Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech, or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas, via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a bender all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city But with the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so gray With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 
Jehová es de para la 